Welcome to 10-Minute Bible Talks, where we connect the Bible to your life in the time it takes to get to work. I'm Tanya Wilmoth. So Eric and I were sitting in our kitchen and we were both scrolling our phones and Instagram told me there's one thing Kate Middleton eats every day to stay healthy. And Twitter was telling Eric about a top football recruit that was going to commit to the Mizzou football team. And I picked on him because he gets his hopes up and then people decommit. I can't believe decommit is an actual word. And he picked on me because Kate Middleton obviously has a private chef and no one eats the same thing every day anyway. But you see, the stuff we were looking at, true or not, well, it was curated for us. The lies we believe are curated for us like never before in our evolving digital world. Eat this and you'll be thin. Buy this and you won't get older. Do this and you'll have better friends. It's not just that we live in a world of empty promises, but we actually seek them out. We chase them down, never seeing the pot at the end of the rainbow. I wonder if our culture is different. I wonder if we're unique or if we've just evolved new ways to do this. See, the book of Titus is written to a culture that was known for lies. Titus was Paul's trusted friend and traveling companion, and he was staying on the island of Crete to lead the churches there through a pretty necessary and rigorous cleanup process. It was an interesting place to plant churches. I mean, geographically, it made sense because the coastline and the port locations meant easy access for travel and for the gospel message to spread. But culturally, it was kind of a crazy endeavor. The Greek noun for Cretan is Christimos, or liar. It's literal translation synonymous with Cretan behavior. They were proverbially known in ancient times as liars. Lying was considered a skill and a virtue. Now, Paul clearly understood the culture because the very first thing he wrote to Titus and the Cretans was that God never lies. Of all the attributes he could have chosen and all the things he could have said about God in the greeting of his letter, he honed in on the truth-telling nature of God. Listen in. Titus 1 verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Now, God who never lies is an important message for the Cretans because the believers were trying to assimilate their knowledge and worship of God with their knowledge and worship of Zeus and with their personal experience. But the aim was to draw their attention away from those things and upward to God and his character. And that's one of the reasons we study the Bible today, to draw our focus away from smaller stories that aren't really true and toward God and his true big story. The Bible tells us and reminds us about God's plan for us. Now, Numbers 23, 19 says it in another way. It says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not he do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Now, the new Christians in Crete had not experienced this kind of nature before, this kind of truth-telling nature. But as people who had put their faith in God, Titus was there to show them what God was like and how to live out their new identity in him. Now, on one hand, the hearers of this letter lived in a world of lies, lies from bosses and managers, lies from people who made marriage commitments, lies from idols who made empty promises. And on the other hand, the hearers of this letter were being made new from the inside out by an unchanging God who always keeps his promises and never lies. 
Now, there's a story in Acts 3 where John and Peter are walking next to a pool where a man who can't walk is begging for coins. And when Peter and John see this man, they tell him, hey, we don't have any coins, but we have something better. Now, when Peter tells the man to rise up and walk, this man who's been lame for a very long time is able to leap and bound and he's overjoyed that his legs and his feet are working. And then all the people who see him are worshiping and praising God. How did this happen? How was this man completely changed? Well, Luke tells us in Acts 3.16 that it's the author of life. It's faith in his name that made the man strong. And faith through Jesus gave the man this perfect health in the presence of all of these people. Now, this matters to the Cretan believers because they had received believing faith and they had been restored to perfect spiritual health through Jesus, but they needed to live like it. Imagine that that man who could now walk went back to being carried and begging by the pool instead of using his feet and going to find work and new purpose with his body. Now, when the people of Crete are living like their old selves and believing in their old lies, while also believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the hope of eternal life he gives, they're doing just that. They're not walking on their new legs. The impetus is to live differently, to be set apart, not to assimilate. Base your truth on the truth of Jesus Christ. What about us? What do you think is the biggest lie we believe? Is it that something will make us happy if we can finally get it? Is it that one day we'll have enough success to prove that we actually do have what it takes? Is it that when we get to the next line on the track, we'll stop trying so hard and we'll rest? I actually don't think those are our biggest lies. I think the biggest lie that gets its hold on us is that God is not enough, that what he has done for us is not enough, that what he has done in us is not enough. And so all of those other smaller lies have their day in the spotlight because we are striving and running and wearing ourselves out, trying to be enough and have enough. And we feel tired and we feel burnt out and we feel shame. And this is where the gospel heals us from the inside out. Because when we truly believe that God has done every single thing he said he would do for us and in us, we operate from a place of enough. Enough love, enough grace, enough time, enough strength, enough security, enough forgiveness, enough acceptance, enough. What has God promised to do in you? Do you believe it is enough? How does your life show you believe it? Where do you need to repent because you are believing God is not enough? If you'd like to meditate on those questions and pray over those things, also look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. And I'm also going to pray those verses for us today. Lord, when we are tempted to believe that we are not good enough or smart enough or strong enough, or when we don't think we have enough of the things it takes to be popular or respected, let your word be the guiding truth in our lives. Let us believe what you say, those unchangeable things in which it is impossible for you to lie. For us who have fled for refuge in you, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Let your truth be the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Amen. If this podcast is helping you grow in your faith and you want more people to experience what you have, would you join our team? 10 Minute Bible Talks is a crowdfunded project. Even a monthly gift of $10 makes a huge difference. All gifts are tax deductible and it couldn't be easier. Just click on the link in the show notes.